Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And in this episode, we are going to be uh, reading, reflecting upon, or reflecting upon our watching of lazy people like me. The Importance <laughs> of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. It is a play, so a it play. is meant to be watched, not read that's necessarily. Mm, that's, that's very true, I'm actually. take comfort in that. Um, and yeah, you know, I actually, just as a random aside, um, it was only pointed out to me recently that there's no like hole on the other side of this table to put your legs in. So you you two are like in the most awkward spot, and now I can't stop noticing like when people are so you can't see this on the radio, but like sitting there really awkwardly because there's no like spot to put your your legs. Anyway, we've gotten quite used to just side saddling this whole thing, sitting on the side with our knees facing each other. It's okay. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. okay. Oh, we don't mind getting cozy. You're just really putting yourselves in the most awkward positions now to no. mad anyway. guilt. Okay, um, so yeah, uh, Victoria, because this has been your life for about the last month or two, more, um, more two months. More yeah, two uh, months. maybe you can tell us what the uh, the importance of being earnest is about. Yes, I can. Um, so this just for a bit of because I have neither watched the play or read the book. <laughs> so... Swing it. on that. <laughs> I'm officially the Oscar Wilde expert. That's my contribution. <laughs> Um, so just for a bit of context, I've just come off um, a stint with a, a production company in Sydney called Artes Christi that did The Importance of Being Earnest, so I was costume uh, director and prompter. So as a prompter, I know the script fairly well, probably a bit too well. People say words now in everyday conversation and it triggers monologues and mm. things like that in my head. But basically, what the play is about... and. I will specifically be talking about the four-act version, just as a side note. So if someone's listening to me and thinking that that's not in the play or that doesn't sound quite right, it's because we've got the very particular four-act edition um, that was released for some form of anniversary. I don't know, it's on the back of the book somewhere. Um, And with the permission of Samuel French, I remember that. Anyway, so the play is about... um, it's about lots of things, but it's about these characters. So there's um, Jack Worthing and his good friend Algernon Moncrief, and they are two uh, very well-off gentlemen uh, who live in England, and at the moment they're in London. And Jack is very much in love with um, Gwendolyn Fairfax, and Gwendolyn Fairfax's mother is Lady Bracknell, and she's very much a Lady Catherine de Bourgh sort of character, um, overbearing and dramatic and just you know, Matt Matriarch, her husband's at home sick and, you know, you can tell that she actually quite likes it because she gets to go around and boss everyone and run her household and everything. Anyway, um, you'll have to help me out here, Luke. It's actually quite convoluted um, to, to talk about the plot. Basically, well, okay, Jack okay, has okay. this here's situation. The, here's, the problem. here's the problem, Victoria. Yes. I came in like 20 minutes late. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> we all noticed. <laughs> It's good to know. Um, and uh, no, no, no. In my defense, it was because I was waiting for people <laughs> and I thought it was upstairs. No. And so I'm standing it was in the little there theater. waiting for these people. And so I send them a text message of like, or I try to call them and they yeah. hang up on me and send me a text message saying, I'm already in. And I'm like, how could they possibly? Like, they couldn't have possibly gone past me while I'm up here. <laughs> anyway, as it turns out, 
was in the downstairs theatre, not the upstairs theatre. So I had to do the walk of shame. <clears throat> Mind you, along with um, Amy's sister. So it's okay because, like, immediate family of one of the main characters <laughs> was also late. So it's all good. Um, so, wonderful. So <laughs> there's this situation with this character, Jack, and he has uh, this way of living where he is called Jack in in town and no, no no he's Jack in the country and Ernest in the town so when he's in the country he's got his ward Cecily and uh, Cecily's governess Miss Prism and the uh, the reverend for the parish who is Dr. Chasuble so he's called Jack to them and um, because he um, actually I'll read to you the reason because it's actually it's easier to just read the reason as to why he does this as to, than to talk about it. Um, as to why he's got this thing going on. See, this is, this okay. is all I missed. I kind of just thought, oh, it's a farce, whatever, I don't need to know. I didn't need to have it explained. So Algernon uh, figures out, because he's he finds Jack's cigarette case that says, you know, to Jack from Cecily. And he says, well, why do you have this? I've seen you with this. Your name's not Jack, it's Ernest. And who's Cecily? You're in love with Gwendolyn. Explain all this to me. And so Jack says, my dear Algie, I don't know whether you'll be able to understand my real motives. You are hardly serious enough. When one is placed in the position of a guardian, one has to adopt a very high moral tone on all subjects. It is one's duty to do so. And as a high moral tone can hardly be said to conduce very much to either one's health or happiness, if carried to excess, in order to get up to town, I've always pretended I have a younger brother of the name of Ernest, who lives in the Albany and gets into the most dreadful scrapes. That, my dear Algie, is the whole truth, pure and simple. And then Algernon says, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. Anyway, so that's the situation. Um, and Algernon hears about this and thinks, oh, well, I'm going to head down to the country and announce myself as Brother Ernest so I can get to know this Cecily that I've been hearing oh, about. No. And, um, that's where I came in. Yeah. yeah, and a whole bunch... Actually, no, I came in a bit earlier, but yeah. A whole bunch of things happen. It's it's a v- quite a convoluted plot. I can't explain all of it, but it's that's the general gist. Yeah, so both characters... So it's basically both... Algernon trying to woo... Trying to well, that's that's get, one of the Cecily, essentially. Is that that's that's one. That's one of, that's that's one of one the strain okay. of the of the there's, multifaceted plot. Right. You have you have this person named Ernest, whom is nobody. Right. This mm. mythical person named Ernest, Ernest, which Jack and Algernon are both claiming for their ends. Yes. Jack is claiming it in order to. Um, so that he can basically be with um, Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn and Cecily also both have this strange obsession with the name of Ernest. Ernest. Gwendolyn will only marry someone by the name of Ernest, which is kind of funny. And you f- later find out that Cecily has a less um, intense but still uh, yeah. prominent obsession with the name of Ernest as well. Um, yeah. It's very strange. It's very and Oscar so, Wilde. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so when, once they, why? So they go, <laughs> because so once, it's once silly. Algen- sorry, yeah. Once, once Algernon finds out about this, he decides to go to the country, as you say, to try and woo... Um, Cecily. Cecily, thank you. They all have such old British names. Um, <laughs> this is set yeah, in Victorian I know, I know. England, keep I know, in mind. I know. Um, and so that's basically the rest of the play is this... is People finding out that some... Yeah. Of them like, attempting to try and live these double lives yes. uh, and covering for each other. 
uh, Gwendolyn turns up. And so um, Gwendolyn meets Cecily, and they're both and they talking both about Ernest. Engaged, and they're both engaged to this man named Ernest, who, <laughs> mind you, doesn't exist. Um, but they're actually different people. Yeah. Um, one is Algernon and one is Jack. Uh, and so you have this whole And then in there. the culminating Act 4 or Act 3, if you've read well, Act 3, there's also, they there's... all come together and and it's... It's, it's a big mess. Yeah. It's a big mess. It's a huge mess. <laughs> it's a huge mess. And it's, um, it's very... It's quite... It's quite interesting. Um, and there's, of course, there's also the little subplot there with Dr. Uh, Dr. Chasuble and the, uh, the baptism... Uh, Jack oh, yes. is not sure if he's being baptized because, because Jack he was has found this in a in a purse. He was found in, in a handbag in, a in handbag. Victoria Station, the Bryson line, and he was um, accidentally picked or given to. Uh, it's a long story, but basically, a very wealthy man was given this handbag by accident at the train station, then raised him. Um, and that's another subplot of finding out so uh, of- Jack slash Ernest's real identity. Right. Yeah, and so because of because of Jack's. Um, what would you say? Potential, not potentially not being baptized. Mm. Um, he uses this is terrible, by the way. He uses <laughs> yeah, this as as an opportunity to change his name to Ernest. <laughs> yes, because and he then, wants to be baptized the Christian name. Yes, Ernest. and then Algernon has. Um, actually, I'll try and find the section here because it's very funny. Algernon has a very similar. Uh, idea because he realizes Although that it Cecily make any sense. No, no, no. He but obviously I'll read it. It's has very been. funny. I'll read it. It's very, very funny. Um, because Cecily it also like has a lot like Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh, Comic- yes. comedy plots are always oh, yeah. the most convoluted things, aren't they? Yes, yes. It's very, okay, it's very funny. Tragedies are always can... very straightforward. You can, you can, you can see all of the streams heading to each other <laughs> at high speed, <laughs> and it is not going to be pretty <laughs> yeah. when they hit. Yeah. So, um, at one point, uh, Jack and Algernon are sitting together, quite defeated, because the girls have had this big blow up at them and said, "We're not engaged to you because we've met each other and we know what you're up to." And blah blah blah. So they're sitting down on the couch eating which, muffins which was together. Greatly <laughs> <laughs> fantastically foreshadowed by um, when was it Gwendolyn? Oh no, no, no! When it was Algernon and Jack were having that conversation, and he's saying that, "Well, I think Gwendolyn would get on quite nice." Yes. With. <laughs> and he's like, and Algernon says something like, you know, says, "Women, women won't don't keep." Sorry, no, quote it exactly, because um, it's very funny. Hang on, I'll try to find it. Yeah, yeah they, they, they're sort of having this argument about um, whether Gwendolyn and uh, is it Cecily yeah. will get on with each other. Um, yeah, he says, uh, girls only call each other sister after call- like having a fearful scrape and calling each other a lot of things before that. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway. which is exactly what happens. It's exactly what <laughs> it's happens. Very funny. So Algernon and Jack are sitting very defeated uh, on a couch and um, Algernon just says quite offhandedly, I've got a load of things to do before dinner. I've got to do this and this and be baptised and blah, 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 blah. And Jack says, what on earth do you mean by talking about being baptised after tea? I have just made arrangements with Dr. Chasuble to be baptised at a quarter to six under the name of Ernest. My dear fellow, the sooner you give up that nonsense, the better. I made arrangements this morning with Dr. Chasuble to be baptised myself at 5.30, and I naturally will take the name of Ernest. Gwendolyn would wish it. We can't both be christened Ernest. It'd be absurd. Besides, I have a perfect right to be baptised if I like. There is no evidence at all that I have ever been baptised by anybody. I should think it extremely probable I never was, and so does Dr. Chasuble. It is entirely different in your case. You've been baptised already. Yes, but I have not been baptised for years. (laughs) <laughs> yes, but you have been baptised. That is the important thing. Quite so, so I know my constitution can stand it. If you're not quite sure about you ever being baptised, I must say I think it's rather dangerous you're venturing on it now. It might make you very unwell. 
You can hardly have forgotten that someone very closely connected with you was very nearly taken off, uh, nearly carried off this week in Paris by a severe chill. And what he's referring yeah. to is the fact that Jack was going to kill, kill off, off his brother Ernest um, for, in, for in Paris. People, because yes. the, the, his, um, because his Cecily was getting a little country. bit too intrigued by Ernest, so yeah. he thought he would just kill him off. Um, and say that the cause was a severe chill. Yeah. Um, and when he tells them that that they that he that Ernest has died and he's in um, mourning clothes and things like that, that's when Algernon shows up and says, "Brother, I am Ernest." I so that's the plot, yeah. my yeah, dear, my dear very, listeners. It's very funny, um, and I think just bringing up that uh, the the scene about baptism there reminds me something I thought of. I don't know if this is a really strange comparison. Mm. But it felt to me like the 19th century Seinfeld. <laughs> in the sense of, like, yes. there's these horrible people in these horrible situations and you enjoy seeing them. <laughs> like, that's what it's like. Because they take Having something that's that, very, though- as very serious as baptism and they're just using it. in the And it's actually, like, you know, it's, it's actually funny the way they do it because you can see it's going to go really wrong. And they kind of deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> it's um actually speaking about taking things uh you know watching people uh ruin like make a mess of things and then finding a bit of enjoyment in that I, I um obviously sat through many performances of this play and it was lovely listening to the different audience reactions because every audience has a particular personality and and flavor and style to how they laugh and respond and all those sort of things and um, they generally laughing at everything, but there was this one audience. Is that my audience? Um, I don't actually. I remember, it it co- might have co- been the matinee you, one actually because you commented it had a... afterwards that it was like, "What was wrong with you guys?" <laughs> you guys weren't laughing at all. I'm well, like, I was no, no, no. Laughing. We figured out because we said, "Oh, people, people weren't really laughing." But we found out because it was the matinee performance. There were lots of elderly people, and they were laughing. They were just actually was, quietly was, laughing. I had a really embarrassing moment where it took me, like, this play is quite a clever play. There's a lot of little <laughs> Did things you going. you laugh later at a joke? I laughed. No, 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 no. It wasn't even like I laughed later, like 10 minutes later or something like that. I laughed, like, two seconds in, everyone else <laughs> starting to laugh. And so they were just finishing their laugh, and then I started laughing, and I'm like... Oh no! This is so embarrassing. Well, could be worse. At least you're not last- laughing at the joke ten minutes ago. Well, this- I don't know if that's much worse because people could think you'd be laughing at anything. This—it's quite clear that I was laughing at the thing that everyone else had figured out <laughs> much earlier. Well, uh, this particular audience—that they were while they didn't laugh very loudly, they were actually quite vocal, and you could hear little comments every once in a while. And at the point where Gwendolyn and Cecily are getting to the nitty gritty of things and figuring out that they're both engaged to Ernest. Who doesn't um, exist. So what, uh, what sparks it all is Gwendolyn says something about um, Ernest has a strong, upright character or something. But previously she'd been talking about Mr. Worthing, so you didn't know which brother you, you were talking about. And someone very, like, quietly but urgently whispered out, don't talk about Ernest. <laughs> and they were, like, quite... Um, uh, distressed. Yes, they were, um, they were into it. They were, they were really into it. Yeah, they, they know they can see the train wreck coming. The I, was just, I was just behind the curtain and I was trying not to laugh. This is so <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, that's the play. Um, there's a lot to discuss about it. Um, I, I don't mean, know. How about we have a little bit of background information about about Wild himself? What, what did we What did we actually do? Because we did do an Oscar Wilde. We did the we did the giant one. We did the selfish giant. Selfish giant. We did the and so giant. I think we did discuss most of a little the, bit. 
Well, I mean, because I remember, I, I remember talking about how it was really interesting because Selfish Giant was, I think, in the late 18... It's a very the eighteen eighty, and it was, it was just before, really interesting it because it was long. Everything. It was yeah, it was long before everything happened. Wrong. It was long before well, he... everything went wrong for Oscar Wilde. Because the importance of being he was actually the importance of being earnest is right when he sue he made the worst mistake of his life and decided to sue someone for libel, yeah. and then it all yeah. came out that he was. Uh, engaging in some ra- in some rather um, very bad taste acts by Victorian standards, and well, by by general standards, but I mean not these particularly Victorian, particularly Puritan Victorian standards, and mm. um, yeah, so he ended up going to jail. I think the play was, going, was banned for a little bit plan. as well. Because of this, possibly or, it wasn't um, perhaps wasn't no. Banned, Salome was the other was the one that wasn't allowed. Yes, but I'm pretty sure something. I think this play this was tainted in was, some way. I think it was because it was or it closed to, early or something it was, it like was connected, that. I think it was because of you know how I was mentioning before there was the big kerfuffle with um the the mark the marquess of where yeah. it Queensbury. was of Queensbury um because of that kerfuffle mm. that was directly related to sorry just to give yeah. a background to yeah. that. We're giving so many backgrounds. Um, um, is that at the opening of this play in London, um, the Marquess of... Is that how you pronounce it? Um, Whatever. Just say it that way. The Marquess of Queens, well, I thought Queensbury. I differently. Uh, May I say the word? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how else you'd pronounce it. It's a double S. Yeah, so it's, Marcus, yeah. yeah Marcus. The Marquess of Queensbury um, had turned up uh, at the opening of uh, The Importance of Being Earnest um, because he had pretty good reason to believe that his son was engaged in a uh, homosexual relationship with Oscar Wilde and intended on throwing rotten food uh, at Oscar Wilde. I don't know how you'd get away with like just taking that into the theatre and no one would smell it. But anyway, um, at Oscar Wilde, obviously, in the closing of when he comes out and everyone applauds, uh, Oscar Wilde got a bit of a tip-off on this and refu- and instructed the, the salespeople to not let him in. Yes. To the play. And that's what started the big blob, which eventually led to, I, th- I believe, the LaBelle case, which eventually led to Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde being arrested and imprisoned for uh, sodomy. Gross indecency. Gross indecency. Yes. Gross indecency. Um, um, no, no, charges of sodomy and mm. gross indecency. Um, um, yeah, so this this is actually this play. This that was play, legitimately um, in the English law. Yeah, that was it's a so. legal term. Um, and yeah, so this play does have a huge connection with. That time in with his the life. event, with I guess what he's most sadly, what he's most famous for um, mm. in his life, which was his um, uh, the fall, I guess, of Oscar Wilde as a result of his. Interestingly um, enough, though, we found out in a bit of research that he was also married and had two two sons. Yes, Vivian and Cyril. 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 Cyril and Vivian. Vivian is spelt with two. But just y's. as a side note, I didn't know that. No one's yeah. ever really yeah. talked about that before. Yeah. So, anyway. Because I, I'm pretty sure we did talk quite a bit because I said that it was a bit of an interest, like the Selfish mm. Giant was like a weird foreshadowing of like his final days. Yeah. And that it was in his final days that he tu- that he turned to the Catholic faith. Um, so I have a feeling we have That's talked okay. quite a bit about Oscar Wilde. Listeners, we redirect you to our podcast on Selfish Giant. Yeah. And yeah, um, I guess Let we us know start... if we don't actually talk about it. <laughs> Um, that means we'll just have to read the picture of Dorian Gray at some point. Okay. No problem. Or De Profundis. I don't know much about that, actually. That was the one he wrote when he was in prison. What? Yeah, we should read that. Anyway, um, maybe we should... I think what we could talk about, though, mm-hmm. is lying. 
Because yes, I mean, at the end of the day, the lying. name the name of the play is the importance of being earnest, which is which a is a fantastic pun, pun. Um, <laughs> about being truthful and also the being a person called earnest. Yes, and it's it's just interesting because I think it's what what I was getting from the play when I was watching it was that most of the lies that that are woven in this are you could call white lies. I mean, they're big lies, like making up an entire personality is a pretty big lie, but they're not hurtful. They're not intended to hurt. They're not intended to hurt. And so I would probably consider them to be in white lie territory. Um, The interesting thing is that everything kind of comes undone because of those those white lies. You're looking Mm. very intrigued, Victoria. What's Oh, it's just it's just me and the subject of lying. Sometimes I like lying is is stepping away from the truth and not serving the truth and it's pretty pretty serious sin but it's also the sin that like a whole bunch of us fall into all the time yeah so i was just meditating on that there's difference between lying and it's a a simple as oh how's you you know how's your day oh it's good thank you yeah see i'm not sure where that falls under it anyway the i was getting a bit glassy-eyed about that i wasn't i was just having a think (laughs) that wasn't me Um, reacting to what you were saying it was me just having a think um, anyway, yeah, I guess I was um, reacting to what you're saying, but just not in a just just not in that way. Okay, yeah. So I mean, I think it, it is quite interesting because I think what the play does point out quite well is that it's something. My, my dad was a police officer, and so he spent a lot of time in court. And he would he had this thing, I guess, that he taught me, which was a nice thing for him to teach me, even though at periods of my life I didn't observe it very well. But that was that if you tell the truth. It's, it's really easy to stick to the truth because yeah. it actually happened. Yeah. I mean, even if you're delusional, I mean, your perception of the truth, you can say. Um, you can stick to it quite well. If you lie, you have to keep remembering what that lie is and yes. you have to keep building up a world around your lie in order to facilitate that lie. And that's yes. exactly what's happening in this play mm. is that uh, Jack has built up this lie called Ernest and then he has to kind of facilitate this entire world around him. He even goes to the trouble of dining at very expensive uh, places for dinner like Willis's or the Savoy and deliberately not paying the bill to keep up this reputation of Ernest. Mm. Um, he, he covers all bases actually quite well. Yeah, yeah. And so until like, he's building... Everything, well, he's until everything every, falls but everything down. Comes, everything comes undone. Why? Because it's not true. Yeah. Because it, at the end of the day, it's not the true. The truth shall set you free, in the words of Jesus and... Bruce Almighty. <laughs> okay. Um, who said it better? <laughs> Obviously the former. <laughs> yes. Although Jim Carrey's theatrics are pretty... <laughs> are, are, are pretty fun. The, yeah. Jesus still is. Theatrics yeah. aside. Um, yeah, it's... It's talking about plays. <laughs> it's, uh, Jim Carrey and the importance of being earnest. That now, would actually... Oh, that, would be, that would be awesome. Uh, that would be awesome. The... Yeah, and so I guess it's it's just quite interesting because I think especially I don't think this is something that we can specifically pin on our culture because I think this is just a generally human trait. And that is the sense of that really is lying that big a deal. And it is something that's come up quite a bit down the I ages think because it's everyone one of those thinks tricky... that about lots of types of sins, you're right. But lying I think is an especially tricky one because it's it's something that people instinctively think is absurd in certain situations to not lie. The, the classic example is the murderer at the door, which uh, the axe murder at the door, which Emmanuel Kant, I think he used that exact example of the yeah. murder at the door, um, which was Man, if, a, if an axe murderer is at the door and what what is he saying? I think like, if an axe murderer is at the door dem- uh, demanding you tell him where 
your his, vi- his intended victim is. is. Do you, uh, you? You have to tell them. So, Emmanuel Kant the said, truth. yes, you have to tell them where they are. Um, that set off quite an interesting thing in philosophy because a lot of people are like, well, hang on a second, what? Like, you have to tell the axiom because it kind of then, in a sense, goes back to um, Plato, 2000, nearly 2,000 years earlier, who um, questioned ethics in general, morality in general, to a certain extent, with his example of the, um, of the madman and the knife. I think it was a knife. And it's, if, if your friend lends you uh, a knife, uh, you've borrowed that knife off your friend and he goes raving mad and intends to kill everyone, is it your responsibility to give him back the knife if oh, he asks okay. for it? And it brings up this whole, like, well, hang on a second, you know, like, I guess, yes, you have a responsibility to give back the knife well, because you've borrowed it. But he's then going to go and proceed to kill a whole bunch of people. So really, should you give back the knife? He uses this, I mean, it's through one of his dialogues, of course. And yes. Socrates being Socrates in, in his dialogues, he's doing it to frustrate you. Uh, um, intentionally. But the madman thing, I mm. look, I'm not a philosophy student, far from it, but I just don't see why you need to tell the axe murderer where your mother is. I wouldn't. And so that's that's one of that's like the various solutions to the axe murderer problem um, are that there's a big difference between um, between lying and, and a not saying and yes misdirecting and things like that. It's because there's a question of what is lying exactly. That's where the question sort of comes has come down to in pre- in the last couple of centuries, I guess, is this question of well, what exactly is lying? The Thomistic perspective would be that lying is um, is when you speak something through your communication that is not reflective of of what's on your mind. I guess you could say that's not an accurate reflection of what it's not. Mind. It's not an accurate reflection of your perception of the truth. I guess you could say. So, if I was to say, "What color is this room?" or "What color are the walls in this room?" they are white, and I was to say black, that would be lying. But if I if, if I was if to dispute was you to and say, "Well, I think it's cream." That's, That's not much necessarily lying. Yeah. Um, or if you were to say, you know, what I'm just trying to think of an example that would like you could um, <coughs> you say, what colour are these walls? And I said, oh, there's a couple of red splotches on these walls. That's not lying because there is. There's a, there's a red splotch right there. Um, I don't know what that's from, but <laughs> there's a random red splotch there. Um, that's not necessarily lying. Misdirection is a slightly different thing. However... I think a lot of the time, because we don't like to think through these things, we tend to just chuck them all together and say, well, lying's okay in certain circumstances. You know, the, mm. the murderer at the door, if the person comes to the door and says... Or if you want to take a more modern example, the... Uh, the Nazi at the door oh, is the Nazi, more... Oh, con- sorry. The Nazi, the Nazi at, at the door, door is the more contemporary... It's coming to arrest your yeah. son. What do you do? Yeah, it's, it's a much more Do you tell him, oh, he's in the exam- back, or do you stalk- It's a useful example because, like, I don't know how it many happened. people have had axe murderers turn up at the door, but story, this definitely though? happened. Yeah, or, no, or, or no, you know... What was, what was that famous story, story of, about the dudes um, on the floor? And he said, oh, they're under the floor, and they were like, yeah. You know, sure, funny yeah. joke, and they actually were. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, there's been a few... Was it, it's not Edith Stein. It was someone... It wasn't St. Edith Stein. It couldn't have been her. It was someone somewhat famous, I think. There was, And it was a woman. And I'm just trying to remember who it was, but that was the. There's this. I don't know if it's true or not, but the uh, an SS soldier came to the door and said, "Are you hiding Jews?" And she said, "Yes, they're underneath us," or something like that. In an almost kind of like 
joking kind of tone. Mm-hmm. And it was true. They were they were oh, in the basement. The but it was kind of almost like this She was messing she around. Was, she was being stupid kind of thing and he just shrugged it off and was like, "Okay, whatever." and walks away. She didn't lie. She was telling the truth. Um, but the way she communicated it, well, because if you look at all the Nazi propaganda around the time, Jews were insidious people underground trying to undermine the great yeah that could have been what it was referencing yeah so you know she could have been she could have very i mean you know we we don't have the we don't have the wide the white a sense of that wider context anymore so when she says yes they're underneath us he could have interpreted that actually that's true yeah he could have interpreted that to you know her no no, it wasn't a liberal literal what what it it sounded like she was doing was she was assenting to the nazi ideology yes when she was actually yeah it's and so yes. things like that aren't necessarily it's a du- It had a double meaning. There yeah. was a double meaning, yeah. and thankfully he didn't interpret it literally. But <laughs> Ernest definitely did lie. Um, <laughs> and, it's those, yes. and it's one of those, I guess, interesting things that we can think that lying is not a big deal um, because it's like I can think that I can control the lie. You know, Ernest certainly thought uh, Jack certainly thought that he could control the lie because they were until geographically Algernon separated. Got, until Algernon yeah, they were, very, they were very conveniently geographically separated. Yes. You had you had Ernest is in the city and Jack, Jack is, is in, in the, the country, country and they should know. And I'm sure plenty of people sadly live this kind of life. Oh yeah, um, like you hear stories of men who have yeah, are basically yeah, this. Who have long-term affairs and have like two whole separate families in yeah. different cities and it's like um and you know, I mean my uh, you know, my dad says I don't understand men who do that. Really, like, well, it's like I, I love, I, I love, I love. G.K. Chesterton has this quote um, of he says um, referring to polygamy. Yeah, wanting to have several wives is like walk, like walk, like wanting to walk into the Garden of Eden through several separate gates at once. It's ridiculous because you're walking into the Garden of Eden. Like, why do you need to walk in several different places? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's the same thing with him saying with polygamy. It's like one woman, like one woman or one man or, or what have you, is like all that's is a hundred percent. There's no having two wives is not two hundred percent. Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Also, also, my dad's like, geez, one woman. You know, being married to one woman is hard enough, let alone more. <laughs> There's also that, of course. You know? um, it works both ways, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's just. I think it's an interesting. You know, even if it's a century, just over a century ago, that this that this play was this play was written. I think it does have, and even though it's funny, you know, it's it's funny because, as I said, there is a certain sense of satisfaction. The what I the Javert complex that I have a bit <laughs> of like seeing you know justice, justice being done <laughs> um, and Javert yeah. complex. Javert. I think that was Leah Labrasco who, oh, who really? came up with that term. Um, but yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, the um the story is is very satisfactorily concluded. Actually, everyone ends up with who they want to end up with. It's it's quite and every and ladies are okay with them not being earnest. I suppose. Yeah, well, exactly. I, no, well, actually, actually, the truth comes out. No, 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 it all no. ends up nice anyway. Actually, so. what happens as a well, side note, but the end of the story is that Jack finds out who he is. Uh, and, and his name his is Ernest. Now that now that brings up a whole bunch of interesting philosophical <laughs> questions because he was he was telling the truth. 
Yeah. But he didn't know, <laughs> know it. it. So is he lying? But, but we are definitely, we are definitely way over time to go into that discussion. Yes. The simple answer is no, because he intended to lie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> long answer, maybe in another episode. But yeah, I think I think it is good to like with the importance of being being honest, seeing how even just those little lies. I mean, they were big lies, but they. I'm getting, they started out little. It was, an accumulation little. Of it was little just like lies. I'm just having I'm just having a different name, which isn't necessarily a lie, by the way. The no. Jesuits did that in um, in England during during the persecution of Catholics. Oh yeah, going under a different alias is not necessarily a lie. No. Living and purposefully saying that you are something that you're not goes under a different thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's the importance of being being earnest. Um. I'd say go and watch it, but I mean, the film's actually not that amazing. The one with Colin oh, really? Firth yeah, and Rupert the two, Everett. It's as- film, it's aesthetically it? very pleasing, and it and it is funny. But as- you mean Colin Firth is very pleasing? No, no, no. <laughs> I, think, I was look. No, 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 no. As the costume director, I had to. I watched it to get a bit of a, a bit of, of a sense of what was going on. It was quite inaccurate anyway. But um, it's into- quite inaccurate. What your, um, your costume work or the movie's costume work? A bit of the movie just took it took liberties, but it, they went they were like very creative liberties and my liberties were more of a you know being having no budget sort of thing constrained yes Um, that'll do um but aesthetically pleasing in that the costumes are amazing the set is uh decadent so it's it's everything the aesthetic it's it's, it's art for art's sake it was so it's so wild um, but really quickly, too many we, puns in that episode. <laughs> before we go, I'd like to just mention one thing. And um, I, I texted uh, my friend that I was working on the play with just to ask what she if she had anything to add in terms of how a, a Catholic might respond to the importance of being earnest. And so this is a shout out to uh, Felicity, who was the props director and the other prompter, and also yeah. the caterer for the show. And um, she said that it was just very interesting I didn't to get point out. No, as in for the cast. For the cast, you're not important. Delicious lasagnas and everything. Every night it was wonderful. Um, anyway, and she said that it was actually quite interesting to note that um, Oscar Wilde's making fun of the fact that in the Victorian era, uh, marriage was definitely uh, a way to move in society. It had nothing to do with love. It had mm. to do with the uniting of families and property and things like that. And he's making he's making fun of that, of course, and that so in the Victorian era, marriage was nothing about love. And she said, and it's interesting to now look at our modern times and about how we view marriage and how it's only about love and how we've gone to the two extremes that still yeah, aren't the full perception of what this sacrament is and the role it plays um, in our lives as you know, as Catholics, as, a, as, as Christians. Know, as, a of, as a source of grace. As a source of grace. And I just thought, and she said, oh, but I might be babbling. I don't know if that's... No, if that's, that's correct, that's I said, that's really absolutely good. correct. And what that's a wonderful really insight it was. So I just wanted to share that. Maybe meditate a little bit on that when you when you watch slash read it. Mm. Because it's an interesting little note. Yeah. Uh, it is a good one. It is good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. So, yeah. The importance of being earnest. Uh, go watch it slash read it. Um, find and it on Gutenberg. Yes. Yes. It's, it's very much available. And... Yeah, so had we decided what we're going to do next time? Do we want to go with... We had a couple of suggestions. Had a few suggestions, but in terms of the length and finding them and things like that, I think we might just leave it for... You don't want to do the screw tape letters? Oh, yeah. I I was going to suggest either the screw tape letters or... or, Done. No. No, no, I was (laughs) going to suggest that or Brave New World. 
uni finishes this week. Yeah. Can we I'll... screw tape? Can we do the screw tape letters, please? Okay. 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 Fair enough. We'll do the screw tape letters. Um, and yeah, so I was thinking we might do it in two parts simply because I'm going to be away for a fortnight, like pretty much immediately after that recording. Episode, yep. So yeah, um, screw tape I, I think letters it needs two parts in two at least. parts. Um, oh, I'm sure there'll be. It'll be like. We have not done a C.S. Lewis in one episode, by the way. <laughs> it's too, too much dense. Isn't it? Too dense. Um, n- never, never dense enough. Okay, so screw tape letters next time on Catholic Street. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholic Street from cradio.org.au.